Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a CA original. The Mighty Sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom Three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, sports columnist for the Commercial Appeal. I'm joined by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. Uh, We missed last week for uh, unforeseen reasons, Um, but we are back. And unfortunately, since the last time we recorded this podcast... The Tigers have gone from 3-0 and to 3-2 and after back-to-back losses to UTSA and Temple. Uh, both games uh, went according to a uh, similar script. Uh, Memphis gets up big early, looks really good, looks like it's in control. Uh, and then through a combination of factors, being an, you know, an offense that's still short, sort of finding its identity, uh, a defense that's giving up a lot of yards, and frankly, some you know some running backs who who haven't been able to hold on to the ball, some untimely turnovers. Uh, they have lost two games in a row here. Uh, frankly, the Temple one this week felt a lot more disappointing than the UTSA one uh, the week before. Uh, simply because it was the second loss in a row. And also, you know, Temple was picked to finish 10th in the AAC uh, this year. And um, if you can't beat Temple, the rest of the games are going to be pretty tough. On the other hand, if you can beat Mississippi State, you can probably beat all these teams in the AAC too. So um, it's an interesting moment for Memphis football, for Ryan Silverfield here heading into – a big game at Tulsa on Saturday. Uh, so we'll get into the Tulsa game. We'll we'll uh, we'll we'll ask the question: Should you be panicking? We'll also get into some uh, recent revelations about the future of the Liberty Bowl here on this podcast. But first, Evan, I wanted to start out with with looking back at these two losses. Um, if you were to diagnose what's gone wrong here. Between Memphis going th- being three and zero and now Memphis being three and two, how would you uh, how would you diagnose this, Doctor Barnes? Well, there's a bunch of symptoms, and I think uh, the obvious one clearly is a case of fumbleitis. Um, mm-hmm. Four fumbles in two games. That two of the fumbles led to touchdowns for the other team. One fumble cost a surefire touchdown against Temple, and another fumble by Brandon Thompson. The UTSA game likely robbed Memphis of scoring. So the fumbles are the number one concern that everyone's probably going to talk about. Silverfield obviously was upset about it post game. He was upset about Brandon Thomas having two of those fumbles. So he was benched in the second half. Um, what did you? What did you? Let's start there. What did you think of that decision? Like Brandon Thomas clearly, you know, has emerged as the number one running back. 
but fumbled in consecutive games. And so Silverfield said, you know what, you're benched for the rest of the game. Um, and then you end up with a situation where, you know, Kylan Watkins is hand is handling the ball. Now, to be fair, Kylan Watkins, a guy with plenty of experience over the last couple of years, but you have a guy in Kylan Watkins in a goal line situation. Uh, and he, you know, because that fumble, at least the Brandon Thomas fumble in the Temple game was a Temple defender came in and ripped the ball out. You know, like, yes, it was a fumble, but someone ripped it out. The Kylan Watkins fumble was, I don't even know what happened there. He was like juggling the ball and trying to switch hands at the goal. I don't know what he was doing. Looked like he had never handled a goal line carry before almost. I was surprised by that, like the reasons you said, because Kylan Watkins is your most experienced running back on the roster in that regard. Um, But benching Brandon Thomas I thought was really interesting because, I mean, we've never, we haven't really seen anybody, you know, We've seen Memphis running backs fumble in crucial games. We have not seen them basically get punished for a whole half. And granted, Dreek Clark ran the ball really well. But I was surprised because, again, my thinking was if someone makes a mistake, the best thing you got to do is you take them out for a few series, but then get them back in because you want them to get over it quickly and not have them overly think about it. And with Brandon Thomas being a young back, you definitely don't want him to have a lot of, you know, overthinking and mental concerns. So I was surprised that Silverfield did that. And then I was even more surprised Monday when he said, yeah, Brandon Thomas is still going to be our, our main ball carrier along with Dreek Clark. So it was almost like you teach him a lesson and then, Hey, you get another chance come Saturday. So I was surprised by that. Maybe not what I would have done, but I think it kind of showed the whole, maybe not time to panic, but they're, they're, they're gripping a little bit over there with the, the, well, and the bottom line is Rodriguez. I don't, you know, I haven't gone back and watched the sequence of Kyle, like what, you know, maybe it was a, situation of Kylan Watkins was in the game you know they play a hurry up offense and Kylan Watkins was in the game and they didn't have a chance to sub in Rodriguez Clark there but um yes it's fluky a fumble like that but also there are some factors where you can look into it and go okay well why wasn't Rodriguez Clark a guy who's clearly better suited for goal line situations in there and then you know was it really the best move to just totally bench Brandon Thomas um, when very clearly he's your, you know, you view him in, and by you, I mean, Ryan Silverfield as your best running back this year. Um, so interesting dynamics there. And then, I mean, then you just go into the, the, the fumble, you know, ultimately you can look at this a couple ways. Memphis would be, if Memphis, if Memphis's running backs just held on to the ball, Memphis is probably five and up. The other way you could look at it at this is, you know, there's a, there are a couple breaks away from being two and three or one and four also. So I actually think three and two is probably for the way they've played, probably an appropriate record at this point. Um, you know, even though the two losses are games they should have won. Um, but you could argue the Mississippi State game, they shouldn't have won. Um, right. They got a lot of breaks to win that game. Um, and at, let's, let's start with the offense and then move to the defense and special teams. So offensively, um, it feels like the offense isn't bad. Like Seth Hannigan's playing pretty well. It seems like when they get the ball – to Calvin Austin the third and Sean Dykes, like the offense is pretty effective too. 
but it's been more inconsistent than previous Memphis offenses. And it's been, it's an offense that hasn't been able to cover up the defense like previous Memphis offenses have. Um, what did you, you know, it's interesting because we're looking at both the UTSA and the Temple game because the UTSA game, you probably came out more concerned about the offense because of right. how it stalled out in that game, how they just kept pounding the ball when it was clear the way to beat that defense was through the air. Um, it seemed like they did adjust a bit offensively. They put more on Seth Hennigan's plate from a throwing perspective in the UTSA, or excuse me, in the Temple game. And I thought he played a pretty good game, ultim- all, all things considered. Um, but it's just not, you know, just like last year, it just doesn't feel quite as explosive as it did under Mike Norvell, this offense. Um, what have what have you made of how the offense has performed this year? It's it's weird because I, I you look at the numbers and you say, well, this offense looks like a productive, explosive in sense of you know Sean Dykes is getting a lot of long- top twenty offense in the country in terms of yards per game. Right, eighteenth in total offense, thirteenth in yards per play, twenty um, first in scoring offense. Like they're they're and they're top fifteen in yards per play. Like, yeah. this is ultimately a high-level, in terms of yardage, right. high-level offense. Right. And besides that Mississippi State game, the offense has looked real, you know, pretty competent and passable for the most. Not, not just a competent, but they've looked good. But like you said, something feels more off in terms of how they start fast and then they get to that second quarter and then they just completely stall out and then it becomes a dogfight scoring the rest of the way. Like, the last three games, I think – They've struggled in the second quarter, and that's kind of when teams made their move a little bit. So I, I, it's it's weird. Like you said, if you look at the numbers, Memphis looks like one of the you know top offenses in the country. But if you look at the game, you're like, something still doesn't feel quite right. Like this game, they, they spread the ball a little bit more around. Um, Calvin Austin didn't get 100 yards until late in the game. Um, but it just felt like something something's just kind of – it's not there. And I don't know what it is, but – I also don't think the offense is the main concern. Like, if you look around and say you have a freshman quarterback, true freshman, you have a freshman running back, and now you have a freshman left tackle starting for the foreseeable future with Austin Myers out, um, you would say this offense is in pretty good shape compared to, you know, what should be the case. So I don't think the offense is the problem as much as they can't compensate. I, I think it's the problem. It's a problem in this regard. It used to be giving up 34 points was enough to win a game at Memphis. Because, like Memphis made its bones on not just being a good offense, on being one of the best offenses in the country. That's how it overcame its defensive issues in the past. Right. It used to be this you could count on this offense more often than not putting up 40 points. And um, that's not there yet right now. And maybe, you know, it's hard to say it should be when you're like you said, they've got so many um, so many new guys in key positions. Um, One thing that I think is worth paying attention to is right now where they're not elite. Evan, and I think they need to get better at 
if you look at their red zone offense, and I like looking, I don't like looking at red zone percentage because that includes field goals. And and I think when you get into the red zone you, and you're kicking a field goal, that's, you know, at most like a push. And, right. and sometimes it's a loss given the situations. Right now, if you look at their TD percentage, so percentage of times they score a touchdown in the red zone, they have scored, um, let's see here. They have scored 11 touchdowns in 19 red zone trips. Yep. That's 57.89%. That's tied for 80th in the country. So, and and with this defense, that's got to get better. Um, got to get back. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I think they got to get back to scoring 40 points a game or you're looking at like a seven and five, six and six type of season. Um, I, I think that, I don't know how much you're going to solve. I mean, maybe the defense will get better, but ultimately the formula for success for this program was that, you know, was, and, and you have, I think in Calvin Austin, the third and Sean Dykes, two elite playmakers at their positions um who you can be taking better take you know who i think you should be force feeding them the ball i think both of them they're both getting the ball a lot already i think they need to get the ball more yeah i mean honestly like they're the strength of this offense i think you made that point last week that the offense is better when you get both of them involved i made the point that when dykes is involved the offense looks more explosive um Mm -hmm. to me i just feel like you got your horses. Those are your two horses. You might have something with Brandon Clark and Drake, Brandon Thomas and Drake Clark, but in the passing game, those two guys need the ball. And then maybe we saw Javon Ivory kind of bounce back with two touchdowns. He needs to be a bigger part of it too. But I would say the offense has to start with how do we get Calvin Austin the ball and how do we get Sean Dykes the ball if I'm Kevin Johns, the OC, because those are your guys. And I want to bring this up because you mentioned scoring. So we know Memphis was a top three, top 10 scoring offense from 17, 18, and 19. So points per game, 17, 45.5, 18, 42.9, um, 2019, 40.4. And then this year, as we mentioned, Memphis is 21st in scoring offense. They're at 37.4, which is not bad. But as you said, this offense might need to average 40 to compensate. They for- haven't gotten over 40 the last three weeks. Right, yeah. right. And they may need that because, as we're probably going to discuss, this Memphis defense has some serious problems that are kind of weighing this team down considerably. Yeah, let's switch course to the defense. And um, if you look at – I mean, it's awful. It's They are right now 120th in total defense. I believe they're 110th in third down defense. Uh, 108th in third down defense. Um, It's just, and it's interesting because obviously this is a veteran group. Um, A lot of guys who have played a lot of snaps for Memphis are playing for this Memphis defense, which unfortunately also means it's a lot of guys who have been on a lot of bad defenses. Um, And I think the part that's most frustrating right now for fans and for, I think for me watching them is they decided after that Arkansas state game, after the secondary got torched, we're going to play a lot of zone coverage. We're going to, we're going to sit back in coverage. We're going to give up the short passes. 
We're going to rely on tackling, keeping guys in front of us, um, and, you know, strategically blitz, I guess. But this pass rush is so bad, Evan. I mean, it like, literally, I, my, my co-host on the radio, Jeffrey Wright, looked it up. On average, quarterbacks are getting three seconds in the pocket per Ooh. snap. Ooh. That is, like, absurd. Like, it is absurd. Like, guys are just... Guys are literally squatting in the pocket. You know, they're they're putting up pictures. They're you know changing the paint on the walls. They're they're putting their furniture in. Like it is ridiculous how much well, time well, quarterbacks have in the pocket. Give the fans some perspective on that because that is a bad number. Why is three seconds a bad number per what Jeffrey found? Why is that bad? It's just I mean it's a lot. Think about it. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi on average to go find a target to throw the ball. And so it exacerbates the problem of, well, they don't have, you know, they don't have elite playmakers in the defensive secondary. Uh, Maybe other than Quindell Johnson, he seems to be the one guy who kind of sticks out at times as a guy who can go make a play for you. Um, But um, I just think when this, this defense has, you know, I got here in 2017 Right. This defense hasn't really been good the entire time I've been here. Um, but the year it was verge, trending towards decent was the year they went to the Cotton Bowl. And right. it was with Adam Fuller. And Adam Fuller's philosophy was, you know what? I might give up a big play or two, but I'm going to go put pressure. I'm going to apply. I'm going to blitz. I'm going to apply pressure. And frankly, I think that's the way Memphis needs to go. Um, like, you know what? Yeah. You might give up a big play here and that here and there, but that's the, that's the identity of this program. They win shootouts. They don't win. You know, generally speaking, there's not a lot of 15, 10 games, you know, like, like that old miss game a couple years ago. Um, I just think they need to find a way to put more pressure on the quarterback and, you know, cause they, they want these dynamic plays. Um, they want to cause havoc, as Ryan Silverfield said this week. You're not, you're just not going to do that rushing three and four guys and sitting back. And the reality is they're sitting back in coverage and they're still getting picked apart. It's not really helping. Um, yeah. So, like, they made that Temple quarterback look like, you know, they made him look like a, you know, that Temple quarterback is not good. And he no. looked good against Memphis. I mean, that Mem- that Temple offense – their two best days, production-wise, over the last two seasons have come against Memphis. Um, and so I think Mike McIntyre needs to change how he's doing things. Um, yeah. Now, will he? I don't know. Ryan Silverfield seemed to indicate uh, on Monday, eh, like, we're not going to be making drastic changes necessarily. And, and he pointed out, I asked him, you know, because this defense did play pretty well the last five games of last year. You know, right. is this a different scheme that, or in any way than what you were doing the last five games of last year? And Ryan said, not really. Um, like, yeah, you changed some things given the opponent, but ultimately they haven't changed. No, there's been nothing that's been altered that significantly with the defense. Um, what do you see from this defense? Yeah, I, I feel like, to me, Mike Mac, Mac, McIntyre is basically saying, by, by you playing zone, which you mentioned, you cannot guard guys one-on-one. And if you notice that when Memphis has rarely give up those long passing plays, 
it's when guys are playing one-on-one because usually they're giving up a lot of those short yardage passes. Like I'll throw some other stats. They're 124th in giving up 10-yard passing plays. Um, they're 117th in 20-yard passing plays. So they're giving up a lot of these short passes. Um, I think to me, as and again, my philosophy is watching a defense is like, if you're going to give up the short pass, you better make sure you're tackling to make sure they don't get beyond you. But the problem is if they're dinking and dunking, they're basically going to take that all day, chunk down the field. And by the way, that eats up time of possession. And we hear people in our heads telling us, why is Memphis getting you know killed on time of possession? This is what's happening. You're giving up the short play. Ben don't break works if you don't break. <laughs> like You know what I mean? Like, ultimately. And, like, the, the strategy of letting a team dink and dunk is, okay, we're going to let them dink and dunk, and then they're going to make a mistake. And this Memphis defense has not been good at forcing turnovers. Um, that's one thing those bad defenses in the past were capable of doing. They at least force turnovers. This defense is giving up lots of yards. And it's not creating turnovers. It's just, uh, you know, and so, and, and then the dilemma they have, though, is I know a lot of people are, are mad at Mike McIntyre's scheme, but I would say this, it's not like, as you mentioned, they're not giving up big plays. It's not like guys are streaking wide open. Um, what my concern is, is that, like, they've got a lot of these veterans, but, like, let's just be honest, they were vet- they're veterans from bad defenses. You know, like these just might be like players who aren't that good, <laughs> like yeah. as sad as it is to say, um, like you don't have any elite defensive playmakers. It feels like there's not who's the, there's not there's not a disruptive defensive lineman. We thought it was going to be Morris Joseph, but he's been hampered by injuries and hasn't really been much of a factor when he has played at linebacker. J.J. Uh, Russell's been been pretty good he's 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 made some plays the national but by and large the what? national leader in tackles jj russell yeah jalen allen uh has has caused some has created some pressure uh rushing the passer a little bit um and then the the defensive secondary um jacoby francis has been up and down he's made plays he's also given up plays greg rubin has, you know, played pretty well for a true freshman, but still he's a true freshman. Uh, Quindell Johnson has been, I thought, has been an effective playmaker for them. I I feel like Sanchez Blake, uh, you know, he was a playmaker two years ago during the Cotton Bowl year. Doesn't feel like he's played that well this year. Um, So, you know, there's a a lot of questions to be answered on that defense. And it'll be interesting to see how they adjust against Tulsa because if they keep doing the same thing, people are going to go nuts. I mean, and it's just not going to work probably. Yeah. And I, and I have a feeling that this Tulsa game is going to be a case study for how either how Memphis responds or how the fan base will react if they lose. And you told me this when I got here, if Memphis struggles too much, then people are going to stop tuning in. We saw what that crowd was for UTSA. It was below 30,000. If they lose this Tulsa game and they look, you know, the same kind of issues that happen, what's that crowd going to be when Navy gets here the next game? The Navy comes to Memphis. Like that crowd may just really kind of be hung over from Memphis madness and want to stay in that night. So there's a lot riding on this game, but most importantly, I think Memphis has to make a stand defensively and say, what do we want to be? And I don't even know if they can do it because as you said, 
what is this defense good at? Like, they stopped the run, but we've seen teams run on them. Like, if you said to me, how what 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 can this Memphis defense do well? They got J.J. Russell, they got Quindell Johnson, and maybe a couple other guys who are doing well, but there just isn't that sense of you can trust this defense to do more than just get a timely stop on fourth down or maybe a crucial third down stop because, like you said, if they're not getting takeaways, if they can't stop teams on third down, what do we have here for Memphis? So I'm not totally sure, but we're going to see what happens. And Evan, we haven't even really mentioned the fact that they, you know, they don't have a reliable place kicker either. So special teams aren't exactly uh, going well either. And so you brought up the point of how what a, you know this is a litmus test. This Tulsa game, Tulsa coming off its own sort of really disappointing loss to Houston. This is a Tulsa team that made the AAC championship game last year, but also has lost to an FCS team this year and. Um, they played and also, and, and just, like I said, got really got embarrassed by Houston this past week, uh, at home. Um, so it can, it, it could go either two ways here. You could get them really motivated Tulsa, or you could get a Tulsa team that looks like it may, you know, it may be, uh, folding its chips in, uh, folding its tent for the season, so to speak. Um, Phil Montgomery's on the hot, <clears throat> excuse me, on the hot seat there. But here's my question before we get in the nitty gritty of Tulsa is you mentioned the litmus test. I mean, if you're a mem, are you worried about this team? Are you panicking? How would you describe what you're feeling about Memphis heading into this Tulsa game Saturday? If I was a fan, I would be kind of teetering a little bit. Maybe I wouldn't go full blown off the edge, but I would be concerned. I would be concerned because you're worried about the fact that this team could be sitting at 500 by Saturday, by Saturday night, Sunday morning, um, you're worried that this defense will probably find a way to let you down. You're worried about, you know, um, the state of the running backs, which used to be, you know, the highlight of this team. Running back you was what a month, a couple weeks ago. People were talking about this being running back you, and now you're worried about the running backs having a fumbling concern. So I wouldn't panic just yet, but I would worry because this month, you know, you're looking ahead at the schedule. Tulsa, Navy, UCF, um, then the bye week, and then SMU comes here in November. All four of those games are winnable games. All four of those games are losable games. So you're, if you're looking ahead, you're wondering, okay, how bad can it get? But if you're looking at Tulsa this week, you can say, well, they should beat Memphis, they should beat Tulsa, but Vegas has them as an underdog, and you're probably trying to figure out like how you know could this be a turnaround or could it be trouble? So I wouldn't panic, but I'm a, if I was a Memphis fan. I'd kind of be on the edge, like it could tip over that way. Yeah, I think you're worried, but I don't think it's panic time because they could just as easily reel off three. You know, the thing about this schedule is, again, if you're capable of beating Mississippi State, you're capable of beating anyone on this schedule. You know, anyone in the AAC, but in my opinion, Cincinnati. Um, and. They could, you know, again, they are a couple plays away from being five and zero right now, and we're we're talking totally differently about this team. We're talking about, oh, well, they gutted out, you know, they gutted out a couple wins, and you know, all that stuff. And so, um, I, I agree with you that I think these next three games are going to determine what shape this season takes. Um, my guess is. I'm, I guess maybe this is more hopeful. My hope is is that they 
you know, I, I don't know if they're going to come out unscathed from these next three. But I think we're going to look up in the during the bye week and go, uh, you know, this is about where we expected them to be. I don't think this is going to turn into a total disaster. I also am not sure after these last two weeks that this is going to be more than a transitional season, if that makes sense. You know, I predicted seven and five before the season. And, you know, it feels like an eight and four, seven and five type of team, honestly, the last two weeks. Um, And that's not a disaster. Like, that's not, you know, as much as people want to talk about, you know, they need to have this elite product um, for conference realignment purposes. I actually think the sign of a great program is in a transitional year where you have a terrible defense and a fresh, true freshman quarterback. If you still manage to get eight wins, that's the sign of a good program. When even in your what you what's what looks like a bad year, you eke out seven, eight wins, and so. Um, we shall see. But I, I think this Tulsa game is really, really interesting. It's on the road. There's going to be no one there. I mean, there's no atmosphere at those Tulsa games. Um, it's <laughs> it, a place it where it is I mean, two, two years ago, a bad Tulsa team almost beat, you know, arguably the greatest Memphis football team of all time. Um, almost cost us game day um, here in Memphis. So, um fascinating dynamic there uh at play uh, in Tulsa um what do, what do you think about Tulsa this year I I, I thought Tulsa was going to be a sleeper to watch just because I know they lost that great linebacker Zayvon Collins who's in the NFL right now as a first round draft pick I thought this Tulsa team would be um a team that is dangerous because they still brought a lot of guys back that UC Davis game they were they lost to that team an FCS team just kind of tampered those expectations but then they hang tough with Oklahoma State they hang tough with Ohio State who um their defense looks awful but they still hung tough with Ohio State and then they turn around and they just put up 500 yards against Ohio State and oh by the way they put up 663 yards against Arkansas State um yeah, that, so that great, that great Arkansas defense Arkansas State defense Memphis lit up <laughs> I think the Houston game is a bit of an anomaly because this team on the road against Oklahoma State and Ohio State gave those teams everything they wanted. Um, I I tend to think the Houston game was a bit of an anomaly. And so. And I did some looking at some of the reporting in Tulsa World. Apparently, in the first half, they didn't have their best defensive player who's a nose guard. He was out for targeting. They had a bunch of players who were out with the stomach flu. And then. That's basically when Houston just jumped on them in the first half, and they ran away after that. But I think if those guys are back, that nose guard Jackson player is back, um, this is going to be a closer game. So I think, like you said, toss that game and say, yeah, there's things you can look at, but I don't think that it game is indicative of how Memphis should, you know, handle what this. What challenge they've got here, yeah. Right. And Vegas, no. Vegas has Tulsa as a favorite for a reason. So Yeah, I believe it's a three-and-a-half-point spread, so – I know it's a it's a big moment. It's a big moment for the program. It's a big moment for Ryan Silverfield. This is kind of the first one of these. Oh my! What you know? The seasons. You know, inevitably, a lot of you know most seasons are not you know eleven and one, twelve and zero type seasons. Most seasons are you know 
kind of go like this, where you encounter moments where, man, if this doesn't go right, things could really teeter. You know, because if they lose this game, then then people will be, you know, it'll be a full-on, you know, what the heck is going on here yep. um, type of situation. And um, so big moment for the program. Um, before we wrap things up, I want to talk about the Liberty Bowl a little bit. Um, we've had some developments on that front. We reported in the commercial appeal uh, yesterday. Well, one, it's not going to be called Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium much longer. It's going to be called Simmons Bank Memorial Stadium shortly when they consummate uh, the deal. With it, rolls off the, it rolls off the tongue so easily, doesn't it, Mark? Simmons yeah. Bank Memorial Well, I said on the radio we should start, it should be the vault. We should call it the vault. Um <laughs> I like it. No one gets out with a no opposing team gets out with a win against in the vault. Uh, no, everyone's just going to call it the Liberty Bowl. But <laughs> regardless, um, you know it, it's going to help the city with maintenance and sort of the operational uh, needs of the Liberty Bowl. And then we learned also that the city has uh, commissioned a architectural firm to come up with plans for renovating, uh, for reimagining the Liberty Bowl, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, They did a walkthrough ahead of the UTSA game, I was told, and they're expecting a very preliminary proposal by next week. Um, And by preliminary, I mean this architectural firm is going to list out all these different concepts, it sounds like, that could be done, and the price tag and then the city and the school, and the school especially, are going to spend the next few months or so figuring out, okay, what of what what of this can we afford? And I bring this all up to say, I'm not saying an on-campus stadium is out of the question, but I'll just tell you this. The people I talk to in the athletic department, the people I've talked to in the city, like that is not really what they're trying to do right now. Like they, what they're trying to do is what Cincinnati did to Nippert Stadium, where they infused eighty-six million dollars five, six years ago, and completely cha- transformed the place. Now, what's the price tag to do that at the Liberty Bowl? I don't know. They don't know yet. That's why they've commissioned this architect. Um, and maybe, as Jim Strickland has said, Mayor Jim Strickland, the architect comes back with. Um, you know, it's going to cost the same to to reimagine this place as it would to build a new stadium. Um, and maybe that, you know, but the reality facing Memphis right now is that a new stadium is going to cost, let's say, I'm going to go, like, most people have told me $300 million, but let's say some people, some people said $200 million. You could do, like, an adequate stadium with $200 million. Memphis is going to have to raise most of that money. Mm-hmm. And Memphis just had to take out a loan to build an $11 million indoor practice facility for the football program. And oh, by the way, that took like 15 years to pull off. Like th- this, I-, I know all the fans, everyone wants an on-campus stadium, but no one wants to actually pay for it or figure out how you're going to pay for it. Um, and until someone wants to donate, you know, a bunch of big-time corporate donors or big-time private donors want to donate $150 million to get this thing kick-started, like, it's just not going to happen. They don't have, you know, like, it's just not. Um, 
You know, this is going to take, if you want an on-campus stadium, it is going to take, in my opinion, the greatest fundraising effort in Memphis sports history. Like, even more so than what happened to get the Grizzlies here. Like, that, that is what we're talking about to get an on-campus stadium here. So, you know, I hope, some, I hope there's people who can pull it off. I'm just not, you know, I, I'm skeptical of that. And I think, um, ultimately, you know, this is obviously all in response to the conference realignment stuff. Um, right. Memphis got left out this last time. I don't think it was because of the Liberty Bowl. But there is a fear that the Liberty Bowl could keep Memphis out, you know, is going to hinder Memphis in this next round of realignment. And frankly, the news late last week that Colorado State and Air Force have turned down the AAC to join underscores even more that Memphis has to get into the Big 12 the next time. If they don't, like... The AAC is just a, as I put it, a sitting duck. Like it's just, it's a, it's just not the league you want to be in anymore. No, and I, and I think I, I would, I want to ask you this question because obviously you're, you're reporting at the Commercial Appeal. Obviously, this was good in breaking this down. But do you think that if you're a fan, would you rather see renovations to the Liberty Bowl that can make it a more modern stadium, or? Would you try to build an on-campus stadium that would probably cause more concern, probably would have to raise some houses? And by the way, where would you do it? Like, if you're a fan, would you prefer renovating the Liberty Bowl to make it more modern or just basically putting that money? Well, I think a- you'd rather, if you're a fan, you want an, an on-campus stadium is the ideal scenario here. And ultimately, eventually, you know, maybe the Liberty Bowl's, you know, it's an old stadium. But, uh, you know, again, it's just, you know, Where's the money coming from? I think you can find the land probably. Like you said, you can eminent domain houses. It wouldn't be wouldn't be pretty. It'd be a it'd be a political fight involved too. I can tell you, um, I can tell you from experience that would not be great because it's happening back in my neighborhood where the Clipper Stadium is probably gonna do that to some home, to my old neighborhoods. I'm just I'm just saying that eminent domain scares me personally. But yeah, continue. no, it's it, everyone likes saying let's we we need to build an on-campus stadium but like no one actually wants to like there's a lot of like a lot of money and just work involved in doing that that like no one seems ready to do everyone just seems ready to say what people want to hear you know what i mean like, they want like president rudd put that out there yeah. and like let's just be honest it was an outgoing president saying something that the fans wanted to hear and yet, you know, and, and, you know, ultimately, like, the university doesn't have the money to build the stadium. That's the problem right now. Um, yeah. They might not, like, if you look at the, the, even just renovating the Liberty Bowl, let's say they spend $100 million to renovate the Liberty Bowl. You know, if you look at the template Cincinnati set, the way Cincinnati did it is they built all these new suites. And what they did is they sold the suites and premium seating ahead of time to fund the construction. There was only like $10 million of private donations in that $86 million that they spent on Nippert Stadium. And I assume that will be the template Memphis uses with this. It's not going to be $100 million in private donations. It's going to be, okay, we've put these plans into place. Now we're going to go sell this stuff ahead of time to help fund the project. And then, oh, we'll add in, you know, 10, 20 million dollars of private donations. But you know, like I said, it's it's you know, it's gonna take a lot of money 
just to renovate the Liberty Bowl. Um, and uh, ultimately, frankly, I don't think anyone really would care that much if it weren't for the fact that the Big 12, you, you want to get in the Big 12 and you want to be able to a year from now or whenever the Big 12 considers expanding again, um, you want to be able to have plans in motion of some kind, mm-hmm. whether it's the Liberty Bowl or a new stadium, whatever it is, you want to be able to show the show the Big 12, hey, we're addressing this. We're addressing this. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think the most, you know, I'm not like a lot of fans. I kind of like the Liberty Bowl. I, I know it's kind of like <laughs> it's kind of like run down a little bit, but like I find it to be like a I find it charming, a throwback in a way. I don't know. Like people You're complain about the press box at the Liberty Bowl. Like I'm just like, yeah, it's not the greatest press box, but like and the windows were dirty until a week ago, but like I don't mind watching a game there. Like I don't know. I I don't have like I'm different than most Memphians, I think, and that like I, I kind of enjoy watching it. I, I think some people actually agree with me. Like I enjoy watching the game at the Liberty Bowl. I don't need all the fancy schmancy amenities. Like I'm there to watch a football game, and it's a great place to watch a football game. There's great there's great sight lines. It's you know it's I don't know. I, I like the place. You, you, I, I, I'm in favor of just you know updating it. I'm I, I really think personally like. Just a little TLC, a lot of a T, some TLC on that place would go a long way. Even just you know, new paint job, maybe put in more chair back, seat backs. You know, update the press, update that press box, add some. You know, update the suites. Like that's my personal opinion. I know some people don't agree with me. I would say, like for me, like again, what I would what I would do, and maybe it's just me. One. Find a way maybe to shrink the Liberty Bowl a little bit, take some of those seats and just make it a little bit smaller because, honestly, that would create a great atmosphere. That's something that I think would be a great idea. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, there's history there. There's there's sentimentality. I think it's a good place. It could be better. But I do think that, to me, I wouldn't just settle for this being the best you can do. I would always say shoot for better, shoot for more. If you can put money in there to renovate it, do it. Don't ever go cheap on, you know – my, my mom always said to me, don't go cheap on your body. Don't go cheap on your home. Like, if you're going to renovate your place to make it feel like home, put the money and put the time in to make it look and feel better. So I would say renovate it, make it better, shrink it down, take some of those seats out and make it smaller. Some people might be upset, but hey, let's be honest. College football attendance is down across the board. You can shrink it and you can create a smaller atmosphere that people would like. That's and if what you I want a new st- on-campus stadium, get your checkbook out. There you go. I mean, put your money where your mouth is. Like that's right. really that's that's what it's about, um, because the, the university is going to have to pay for it, and they got to get the money somewhere. So <laughs> if you're in favor of it, you know, if hey, if everyone at the Liberty Bowl for that Mississippi State game gave two hundred dollars, maybe we might be able to get something done. You know, like honestly, like that's sort of what how fundraising works. So we shall see lots. Lots going on. The this Liberty Bowl thing ain't going away. It's going to be a story for a while. Um, hopefully, this Memphis football team isn't going away from relevancy. Hopefully, this hopefully uh, hopefully they can turn things around here uh, these next couple games. We'll have uh, plenty of coverage over at CommercialAppeal.com. Evan will be in Tulsa this weekend uh, with all, covering the game for you. So uh, make sure you check out his coverage. 
Till next week, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan. Thanks so much. And uh, enjoy. Can't wait to see you at Simmons Bank Memorial Stadium in a couple weeks. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.